That's a good song, looking for a breakthrough. I hope uh, some of you have come today looking and hoping that uh, we're going to hear from God. My name is Alan, so glad to be with you here today. I'm wearing this jersey, excited because last night was the Battle of Alberta. That is something the few of you are probably aware of, but the Edmonton Oilers played. No, I got, I got the mic. I got the mic. I got the mic. Uh, security, we got, yeah. So... The Edmonton Oilers played Calgary last night in the Battle of Alberta, and there were over 100 penalty minutes. See, in hockey world, that's pretty good because an average game has about eight. So this, this, was a, this was a ridiculously fun game that Edmonton killed Calgary in. So anyway, all is well. Uh, so glad, good to see a number of jerseys, a variety of different kinds of jerseys. So glad you're here with us. Uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm uh, battling some kind of bug, and so uh, my throat is a little bit uh, crusty. Sorry about that. Rest assured, I am no less excited about what we're talking about here uh, this morning. I just may have to take a little sip of water periodically. But um, uh, we are starting a new series called Tough Love, and uh, it kind of looks like a play-by-play, you know, play action there. Uh, I'm going to tell you what, the, why we're calling it Tough Love in just a minute, but I want to address the subtitle uh, to start off with, The Greatest Bible Story You've Never Heard Of. When I say greatest, I don't mean the most wonderful. I don't mean the best Bible story. That, of course, is the story of Jesus. That's the central story to the whole thing. What I, what I mean by greatest is the grandest. That uh, What we're talking about is a story that encompasses 31% of the Bible, almost a third of the Bible, uh, uh, which is a lot. When you think of it in, in, uh, in comparison, the Gospels cover about 10% of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John cover about 10% of the whole Bible story. Jesus, of course, is, is woven throughout the whole story, but the actual Gospels themselves are 10%. The, the story that we're talking about here uh, uh, in these next four weeks is 31% of the Bible, and, and most of us are largely unfamiliar with this story. What's fascinating is that, is that this story is so grand and yet, it's a story that we uh, don't seem to see in the Bible. We don't seem to uh, grasp, connect with. And what is relevant about that is that it's a story that we actually see in our own lives. And we tend to uh, sometimes struggle with seeing it in our own lives as well. Not only do we struggle perhaps seeing it in the Bible, but we may even struggle seeing it in our own lives. For the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the greatest Bible story that you've perhaps never heard of. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we get to uh, look at your whole story. Most of us, we, we tend to lean, gravitate towards certain stories, and we read them over and over again, and we just love the gift that you've given us in those stories. But, but you've given us the whole Bible. So, Father, I pray that um, over these next four weeks, you would help us just get a, a bigger picture of your whole story. Of, of the wholeness of who you are, that we can understand more about who, who we are. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. <coughs> so the name of this uh, 31% of the Bible story uh, is the exile. And it is part of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, uh, the first half of the Old Testament is uh, what I like to refer to as the foundation. It's the, the growth and development of the nation of Israel that it, it started 
with, you know, most of the stories in the Old Testament that we are familiar with, they are part of the foundation of the story. It's Moses and and freeing from slavery and Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat and... um, and then we uh, eventually move towards the Israelites are, are in the promised land and David becomes the great king and then Solomon, his son, follows up as, as, a, <coughs> as a great king and the nation is doing well. Under Solomon, they have the mighty temple and Solomon builds the palace and, and he expands the kingdom and he is wealthy and wise. And, and, uh, but everything turns after Solomon's death. That's really the, the turn of, of the story. Everything after that in the Old Testament really is centered around the, uh, excuse me, <coughs> is centered around the exile story. After Solomon, the nation of Israel basically turns into a hot mess and they begin this spiral descent down towards getting kicked out of their promised land, the exile story that all of the major and minor prophets in the Old Testament, uh, these books that are often difficult to understand, these books that are perhaps the most pristine of all pages in many of our Bibles, you know, they're just real crisp pages with not a lot of writing on the margins, a a lot of these books. These are about the exile. They're either warning that the exile was gonna happen, that if, if the people of God didn't, didn't change their ways and follow God, they'll get kicked out of the promised land. Or they are, they are uh, prophets talking about uh, what happens after the exile and, and how to manage that and how to, to reach restoration there in, in, with, among, the, the, among God's people. And so this is a, a central story um, uh, in the Old Testament journey. It, it's really, it's one of the grand stories in the Old Testament and it's one that, that many of us would have a hard time articulating or describing what the exile story is. And so we're going to take a look at it. The reason the series is called Tough Love is because, as I mentioned, you know, we're, in a, we're in a journey on growth. And in the growth journey, it's, it's as if the people of God have, have grown from the foundation stage where they are really children. It's like they're, 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 they're uh, children and and in, in the first half of the Old Testament story, you know, God had to provide them with, with very clear rules, laws, and guidelines. And just the way you'd have to give children, you know, here are the Ten Commandments. Here are the laws. Here are the precepts. Here's the, the guidelines pieces. If I could have the uh, seven parts of the story up there. Thanks. So that's the foundation journey is, is where almost where, where the, it's the children of God in the first uh, part of the Old Testament. If we jump to the New Testament, when, we, when Jesus comes along, it's almost like the adult version of the, the people of God because now they have to make a decision as to whether or not Jesus really is the Messiah. And it's the decision that all of us uh, get to make. It's the most important decision we can make in life. Is Jesus Lord or is he just, just a good man, a good teacher? And so this is the adult decision. It's not something we're born with. It's not something we inherit from our parents. It's something we decide. It's a mature decision. Now, in between the foundation and the Messiah is this awkward growth and development stage in between children and adulthood that is the exile. So it's almost as if they're teenagers in the exile journey of the story. And we all know that in the teenage journey, uh, this journey where, where uh, you know, teenagers start to, to get more opportunity, 
but then, uh, uh, then they, you know, they have more, they have to deal with the consequences of some of the decisions they get to make. That kind of learning of growth and development, which is it's just essential for us, um, th- there's a requirement for tough love as a part of that journey. That uh, in, in the teenage journey, there's a need for tough love. As we love our teenagers, as we, when we were teenagers, we needed tough love. When we act as teenagers in our relationship with God, God needs to give us tough love. Yes, we have the freedom to make our choices, but God has to give us tough love to allow us to experience the consequence of our choices at times. And so this is why uh, we're calling this, calling this journey through the exile, this second half of the Old Testament, we're calling it tough love. Just to kind of help paint a picture. Um, this is a picture of me when I was seven years old. So this is, uh, I was in, I guess, second grade. And uh, I was obsessed with my hair at the time, as you can tell. Uh, that was not a costume. That was an actual shirt that my mom made me wear. You may not know it, but uh, back then, the uh, United States would give their hand-me-downs to Canada. Because um, <laughs> this was in the 80s, and I was wearing 70s clothing. And so, uh, so that was uh, when I was seven. Five years later, I turned 12. Uh, and uh, I like this kid. He was in seventh grade, um, uh, losing a battle with the cowlick on the front of his uh, f- uh, head. But other than that, you know, the hair was, was feathered back and, and all was fine with the 12-year-old kid. Uh, but then five years after that, when I was 17, this thing happened. And so I got the cowlick thing, you know, managed because I just kind of worked it into a part. But, uh, but life was rough. This was my uh, uh, senior year of high school, and, and that, that smile just really says it all. That smile is sort of, I know I'm supposed to smile, and I will smile, but I want to remain as cool as I can here. I remember, I remember actually practicing for that senior picture smile, you know, just, and it's just, it's just pathetic and embarrassing, you know, to, to realize, you know, all that was going. Something significant happened between this kid in the middle that I liked and, and, and the kid on the right who, you know, Whatever. Um, and what happened between those, between those things is, is the teenage years. What happened is this significant season of growth between, you know, this was 12 and 17 pictures for me. But, but these, are, these are incredibly important developmental years. And it was for the nation of Israel. And it was a time when I needed tough love. And it's a time when the Israelites needed tough love. And there are times in our lives when we need tough love from our Father in heaven. Okay, let me jump in on how on, on the story that started the whole exile journey. This story that is 31% of the Bible. Let, let me get started with this. It's found in the book of 1 Kings chapter 12. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. 1 Kings chapter 12. In 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon dies, and they have to determine who his successor is going to be. He has a trusted advisor named Jeroboam who believes he should be king, and he had, he had a plenty of influence and power and authority, and he could have been you know, in line to be king, but Solomon did not want Jeroboam to be king And so uh, Jeroboam actually had to flee Israel and had to go to Egypt. He had to kind of hide from Solomon, even though he was a trusted advisor. Because Solomon didn't didn't want Jeroboam to be king. He wanted his own son, Rehoboam, to be king. 
And so this story, this story in 1 Kings chapter uh, 11, chapter 12, is, is the story of these two men, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. One of the struggles with this story is that, is that, it, is that these names sound so familiar. Why, why couldn't it be Bill and Jack? Uh, and, but so we have Jeroboam and Rehoboam. It might help you, uh, as it helps me to kind of remember which one is which, that Jeroboam starts with a J because he was just an advisor. Rehoboam starts with an R because he was the real son of Solomon. So that's one way to kind of identify Jeroboam from Rehoboam. So uh, let's jump into this story. 1 Kings chapter 12, beginning in the first verse. Rehoboam, who is the real son of Solomon, went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, the one who was just an advisor, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam. And he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. This is huge. Jeroboam, who wants to be king, comes back and says to Rehoboam, All you have to do is, is reduce the heavy burden that your father put on us, and I, we, those who were with Jeroboam, we will serve you. This was a huge turning point in the Old Testament story. A huge turning point that went from the prosperity of the foundation of the nation of Israel. This is the moment where things turned in the, in the wrong direction. Verse 5, Rehoboam answered, go away for three days, then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what's your Advice. How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. To me, that, that kind of sounds like Hans and Franz, if you remember that. Listen to me now and understand me tomorrow. What, what does he say? Uh, uh, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. <laughs> my father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scorned you with whips. I will scorn you. I will scourge you with scorpions. Scorpions refers to a leather whip that has pieces of jagged metal uh, into the whip. And so, so it's literally... He, I, he, your father scorned you with, with certain things. I'll, I'll, I'll scourge you. I'll whip you with things that are even worse. How do you think he responds? I think we kind of get a sense of where the story is going. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given them by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men. It's a very sad story. It's the beginning of the downfall of the nation of Israel, this spiral that led 
to the exile, Rehoboam, the, the real son of Solomon, who had the opportunity to have a healthy relationship with Jeroboam, turned it down. He was 41 years old. He wasn't a kid. He was 41, but he acted like a selfish, ignorant teenager. Not that all teenagers are selfish and ignorant, but some of us were. He acted like a teenager who, needed a, who had a whole lot to learn. Basically just saying, I, I don't want to take the advice of the elders. And he went his own direction. What happened is the nation of Israel divided into the north and the south. Here's a, a picture of the, uh, the map with historically accurate images of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. I thought you might be fascinated by that. In the north is, uh, is Jeroboam becomes king of the north. And it is the region that is, is referred to as Israel. In the south, Rehoboam, the real son of of Solomon uh, becomes king of the region that becomes referred is referred to as Judah, and uh, it, what's important about that is that Jerusalem is found in the southern kingdom uh, as part of the uh, the kingdom of Judah. So these two, for years as kings, are fighting against one another, and then they have kings that follow them for for. Uh, Generation after generation, there are kings that follow each of them in the north and the south, and they continue to fight against one another. And they are fighting and battling and finally fighting and battling. And the kings that come and go in the north and the kings that come and go in the south, of those kings, very few gave a rip about God. Those kings who came after Jeroboam and Rehoboam, they, they didn't love God, they didn't pursue God, they didn't prioritize God. It just, the whole nation just spiraled more and more, just drifted further and further away from God. And the prophets kept on telling kings of the north and kings of the south, you've forgotten who brought us here in the first place. You've forgotten who, who created you, the, the God who is, who, who, who is our father. Who's, we are the people of God. We are the children of God. And the prophets keep on, kept on telling them, just change your ways, change your ways. God is merciful. God is merciful. And they ignored the prophets over and over and over and over and over again. Till eventually the Assyrians came and took out the northern kingdom. And the Babylonians came and took out the southern kingdom. It was, it's the exile story. That whole journey is 31% of the Bible. And it's an important part of the journey. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a journey where, where God had to use tough love with his people to say, say here's the warning, here's the, here's the consequences, and they had to endure and deal with the consequences. It's a sad story. But the, uh, the struggle for Rehoboam in terms of making a decision, he made a poor decision that led to the division of the kingdom, but... But that story that I just read is something many of us can relate to. We, we want to make a decision on something, so we get some advice over here, and we go, okay, good, good. But I want to hear from someone else who's going to tell me what I want to do. Some of us can relate to that. It's like, I'm just going to keep on asking advice until I, somebody tells me what I want to hear anyway which was what uh, Rehoboam's journey was. Again, it's something we can relate to. But the question I have why the division? The, the story could have been that Rehoboam was acting like a selfish brat, and then the nation of Israel declined to the point where it, it went into exile. 
But why the division? Why did it have to divide into the north and the south? Why was that the beginning of the exile story? Is there something significant about the division? And I believe absolutely there is. That the division part of the story is essential. That that internal division happens before the fall. That what, in whatever way we are supposed to do life together with somebody else, arm in arm, at work, at home, whatever, that, that, that when that thing starts to dissolve, when there's a problem in that kind of relationship, when we don't accomplish what we want to accomplish, it starts off with internal division. Internal division happens before the fall. Look at the United States. When is she at her worst? When we're fighting amongst ourselves. When Republicans and Democrats, instead of being this brilliant balance of power that keeps us all in check and makes us strong and healthy, it's Republicans and Democrats hating one another and blaming each other for everything that they don't like about life. It just makes us weaker. It doesn't make us stronger. We're all aware of the, of the worst war in the history of the United States in terms of, of loss of, of American lives. In the 1860s, when 11 colonies wanted to break off from the United States, the civil, in the Civil War, they estimate over 600,000 Americans died, which is about the same as all other wars combined, including the wars that, that are still happening now. It's about the same. Over 600,000 in one war versus all the other wars. In the one war where we were battling ourselves, internal division happens before the fall. It happens in marriage. It's the internal division. People don't reach out to their old boyfriends and girlfriends when their marriage is healthy. People don't pursue those kind of relationships at work and kind of a side, oh, but it just start, it's just innocent getting started. People don't pursue those innocent relationships when the marriage is healthy and strong. It's internal d- division that happens before the fall. And, and sadly, it also happens in church. That this is a place that's supposed to be a, a loving body where imperfect people come and we figure out how to love one another and love our community and love God together. And yet so often in the church, what we do is we come together and, and, and what happens so often is that, is that there's internal division. We're fighting over different things. That's not happening, you know, a lot here right now at Mountain Park. I'm so thankful for that. But it happens so often in churches where the church is split because of music or because of a leadership decision or because of a, of a secondary theological issue. What happens also sometimes in churches is we we get something we're so passionate about that we just think that any focus on anything else is is not what God has for us. Instead of coming together and saying, you know what, God's doing something different in your life that he's doing in somebody else's life, and that's okay. I think it breaks God's heart when the church is internally divided. Because the only way that we are going to have an impact on our community and continue to make a difference here in this world is if we do it together. Internal division happens before the fall. And and the tragedy of that 
The reason that's such a, a, a tragedy is we start to lose sight on who the real enemy is. That when we have internal division, we start to think the person we're supposed to be arm in arm with, we start to think that person is the enemy. And that's a mistake. If I could go back to the uh, uh, image of the divided kingdom and the historically accurate images, when these two, when the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were fighting against one another, there were, there were other nations around. So to the west, by the Mediterranean Sea, there, was, there were the Philistines, and by the Dead Sea, there were the Moabites and the Edomites. So while the north and the south were fighting against one another, do you think it was an advantage or a disadvantage to the neighboring nations? It was an advantage. When they're fighting against each other, they'll just wait around and kind of walk in and take the carnage and, and, ta- and pillage what's, what's left over. Why would we want to give advantage to the enemy? Why would we want to do that? In the New Testament... The religious people, they're often referred to as the Pharisees, they were suspicious of Jesus. They really weren't sure if he was the real deal. And and they specifically would say, hmm, we're not sure. They watched him do miracles and such. And they said, I don't know if this is actually from God or from Satan. Hmm. They were confused as to who, who the enemy was. So at one point in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus responds to them. He says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Jesus understood this, that that internal division, that's what leads to the fall. When we break off from one another in our most significant of relationships, we get confused as to who the enemy is. I love summarizing just simplifying the grand story of human life by just viewing it as a love story that involves three characters. It's God, the creator of all things. It's us, the love of God's life. It's a love story between those two. And the third character is the enemy who shows up at the very beginning of the story and, and, is, and is still alive and active, who, who's, who's hell-bent on trying to sabotage the relationship between the first two. That's the enemy. And, and what we do is we get confused when, with internal division. We start to think that this person I'm supposed to be in a relationship with, we start to think that this person is the enemy. Let me just tell you, if you're married, your spouse is not the enemy. Your spouse is never the enemy. If you're divorced, your ex-spouse is not the enemy. If you're a student, if you're a teenager, your parents are not the enemy. They have you know, they're lame and they have terrible taste in music and I get all that stuff. No, no doubt about that. We all, you know, we all are what we are, parents of teenagers. But we are not the enemy. Internal division happens before the fall. And it breaks the father's heart. Fortunately, there is a very clear pathway out of this that we see from this story. At the very beginning of this story. If you remember Jeroboam, the one who was just an advisor, the first thing he says to Rehoboam, the real son of Solomon, the first thing he says to, hey, hey, if if you just lighten the load that your father put on us, we will be your servants. That's all you got to do. The story could have been so different right there in that moment. 
And then Rehoboam, the real son of Solomon, he goes and gets the advice from the elders who say, who say, if you serve them, if you be their servants, Rehoboam, if you be a servant as the new king, you will have their loyalty for the rest of your life. Just be a servant. That's, that's the solution. Instead of trying to power our way to fix or to, to bring authority and say, I win and I'm better and I'm, and I'm going to win this argument, the most powerful thing we can do is be a servant. That's what Rehoboam did not do, could not do. We can, this is so clear to learn from this story. And we can learn it from other stories. We can learn this from, from El Wapo, from the three amigos, if you remember the wisdom from El Wapo. At one point, his right, right hand man, he says, he says, when you want the woman, you take the woman. And then El Wapo responds with wisdom. He says, you cannot force open the petals of a flower. Anybody? No? Okay. <laughs> El Wapo, I've lost some of you. El Wapo. Maybe it was more popular in Canada, but El Huapo says, you cannot force open the petals of a flower. Sometimes we just think that, you know, my strength is going to fix it. I'm just going to hold tight. I'm going to hold tight. I'm not going to approach them because then that's a position of weakness or whatever. And sometimes the most, often, the most powerful thing we can do is just to say, I will be the humble servant. I will be the servant here in this. Even if it's not reciprocated back to me, I will be the servant. The way to bridge the gap, the way to heal the wound, the way to open the petals of a flower is to take the role of a servant. Don't, don't bail on these relationships, on these significant relationships. Don't, don't, don't bail on them because you're not as happy as you want to be, because things are not going the way you want them to be. What would it look like for you to take the role of a servant? That's what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. He, he, he was aware of the division between God and his, and his people, the first two characters in the story. He was aware of the, the internal division. Two were supposed to be one, and, and yet the, the people had drifted so far from God. And so Jesus said, I will, take the, I will leave my heavenly throne and I will become one of them, one of us. And he took on the role of humble servant. And he, says, he even said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. As we close here today, I just want to give you an opportunity to reflect on a relationship in your life that perhaps currently has division. Maybe it's a brother, a sister. Maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your boss, coworker, friend. What would it look like for you to take the role of servant? For you to bring, not the power of, of, of forcing something into that relationship, but the power of gentleness, the power of kindness, the power of forgiveness and grace. What would it look like for you to take the role of servant, the role that Rehoboam was not able to take, a role that would have changed the whole story, a role in your life that could change the whole story. What could that look like?
before I let you go, I want to pray on that, to that end, about that relationship. Would you bow your head? Father, I pray for, for whatever relationship has been stirred up in the hearts and minds of people gathered here today. Father, I pray that, you know, with a lot of these relationships, there's just a whole lot of history. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of, there's a lot of conversations. There's a lot of, um, of things that have been tried. And, and there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of giving up that happens often. And so, Father, I pray that, that you would just shed some light on, on, on our personal exile story, the, the way that perhaps we are heading toward a fall. But, God, that you would, you would help us to make a decision that Rehoboam was not able to make, the decision to just take the role of servant. God, would you show us how to do that in our relationships, to just humble ourselves before you, before other people, and to just say, you know what, this is not about me. God, would you help us to take the role of servant because that's what you did. We pray this in the name of your incredible, humble son. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great afternoon. Enjoy the game, and we'll see you next time.